couple announcements. Uh, Tuesday, this coming Tuesday, is the men and women's Bible study, the foundation study. The women meet upstairs, the men downstairs. It's a great study if you're able to make it. It's been a blessing. It really has. And the 25th is going to be the men's and women's breakfast. Put that on your calendar. It's a great time to come together, and it's a dish to pass. I usually will uh, bring something for everyone as well, and coffee and juice. It's a great time. We have a Bible study. So we encourage you to come, and that will be at 9 o'clock, and that is um, the 25th. And also April 7th, which is the first Friday of the month, we're going to start having the first Friday of the month, I'm going to meet with the teens do a study. And uh, we're, I'm hoping, anyway, that we get a good group here. And the title of it, what the Lord put on my heart, is Being a Christian in a Teenage World. That's the title of the study, Being a Christian in a Teenage World. So I encourage all of you who are teenagers, all of you who have teens, just encourage them to come. And it's once a month, and I, I think the Lord's going to bless it. I know it's kind of funny having the old pastor rather than the young pastor do it, but you know what? Um, I've been around. <laughs> you okay, Lance? Oh, okay. It was me. Oh, it's you. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. We are in Second uh, Kings chapter seven. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together. That you would bless and and use the reading of your word in such a way that it would motivate us on to have a walk with you that is steadfast, and that we might be used of you to bring others also into the faith. And I ask and pray all these things in Jesus Yeshua's name, amen and amen. You know, I was thinking this morning how wonderful it is to belong to Almighty God, and how wonderful it is to know the truth. Because there's so many things happening in the world, you know, you had the bank at Silicon Valley that's collapsed and uh, all kinds of things that are going on. And, and, um, but here's what we have to remember. We have hope beyond this life. And in order to fully understand that, you have to remember we are three-part beings. And we were created because there's no way the three parts of our humanity, our, of our being, could be just by accident. And the reality is that nothing ever comes. Something never comes from nothing. There has to have been a creator. And this creator, God, created, created us as three-part beings. We have a body, which all of us recognize, because this is how we interact with one another, how we interact in our world, in time, space, matter, in our material relationships. But it's just our body. But we also know that we have a soul. And the soul is your self-identity, your person, who you are. That's why we're all different. I mean, you can have twins... And yet, they're different, because even though their bodies might look somewhat alike, their souls are individual. But then we also have a spirit, and that spirit, since the fall, lies dead in mankind. But his spirit quickens our spirit, okay? So when we're born again, his spirit makes our spirit alive. And now we're able to have a relationship with Almighty God. And so at the end of this physical life, because the physical is very temporal, right? If we live to be, you know, 90 years old, we think we've lived a good, long life. But the reality is 
that this body is temporal, and one of these days it's just going to perish. Well, what happens after the body perishes is the fact that that which is immaterial, the soul and spirit, cannot die. So your soul, who is your personality, your self-identity, who you are, is going to go one place or another. And if you have the ticket, in a sense, in a euphemistic way, of your, sal- of your spirit being punched with the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, now your soul, your, your self-identity, is going to go and be with the Lord God Almighty. If you are not born again, if you don't have that, your ticket punched with salvation, then the only place for you to go is to hell. That's the choice everyone has. And the saddest thing in the world to me is that so many people don't believe that. And so they're living their lives nonchalantly as if nothing else matters. You know, I'm just going to, going to have a good time. I'm just going to enjoy life. But the reality is the Bible says it's appointed unto every man once to die. Okay? And then judgment. And so we have to understand we prepare for so many things. We prepare for our retirement. We prepare for vacation. We prepare for the weekend. We prepare for church. We prepare for a lot of things. Why wouldn't we prepare for death? Why wouldn't we prepare for what's going to happen when this physical life ends? Well, we should. Because we're looking at a time period where Jesus Christ could come back for his church any moment. There's no doubt you look around and you don't see the things happening financially, the things that are happening spiritually. I mean, the morality of this nation has... I don't think the morality of this nation has ever... You can go back to the Roaring Twenties. I don't think the morality of this nation has ever been at a lower point. And so we're coming to the last days, as the Bible says. And in those last days, God is going to rapture, which is taken from the Latin word raptos, which means to be caught up. He's going to catch up his church out of this world. Why? Because his judgment is coming. A good parent disciplines their child. God disciplines... Amen. Amen. God disciplines those that he hates. Is that what it says? God disciplines who? Those that he loves. And why does he discipline those that he loves? Because he loves them. And he wants them to learn to do right. He wants them to learn to do those things that are best for them, that will make them a more responsible adult adult and, and to have a, a happy and, and you know, encouraging life. But we have to understand that that time is coming when the Lord is going to call his church out of the world. And when that happens, are you ready? In fact, uh, Rich Hayward used to sing a song. Maybe we'll get him to sing it again sometime. And the title of it was, Are You Ready? And it's a good question. Are you ready? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his promises are always yes and amen. And so we have to recognize that we, as believers, have a promise that this world doesn't have. And the reality is that when the rapture occurs, God's judgment falls. You know, we, we read all these books and we read all of these, watch all these movies where the first three and a half years of the tribulation isn't that bad, but the last three and a half years gets real bad. 
at the very beginning, God's wrath is poured out from heaven. There's not going to be one moment during the seven years of tribulation that it's comfortable. But fortunately, there are going to be many people who get saved during the tribulation. And you might be thinking, how can you say many people are going to be saved during the tribulation? Because I've shared this with you before. There are going to be so many Christians that the only way that the Antichrist can identify them is to force people to take a mark on their hand or forehead to be in allegiance to him. And if people do not take the mark on their hand or their forehead, it shows they're not in allegiance to the Antichrist, and he will have them put to death. That's what it's going to be like. So your witness right now to those that you love and those around you, possibly it really hasn't been that effective. People aren't listening to you. But you know what? They have been listening. They've heard some of the things you're saying. And when that rapture occurs, if they're still here on earth, left behind, they're going to know what you said is true. Because all kinds of lies are going to be coming out through the media and through whoever else, giving reason what happened to all these people that disappeared. But understand, most people aren't going to believe those lies. It's going to be too amazing. So when we're studying the Word of God like this, like we're in the Old Testament, and it might seem like, what does that really have to do with me and this and that? It has everything to do with us because man is man. Man has not changed from the beginning to the end. When we're in the Old Testament, we're reading about God's law, but we're also reading about God's mercy and grace. We find that all through the Old Testament as well. And so when we look at portions like this, we should be saying, God, what are you speaking to me? It's not a matter of what points are the path, is the pastor making, what kind of, uh, you know, what is he sharing? What are you speaking to me, Lord? Because God loves you so much. And he wants to have an individual relationship with you. Can you imagine if I told my wife, you know, honey, I love you. You're the best wife in the world. But I really never like being alone with you. Um, the only time we're going to get together is when we have crowds. You know, if we have a big party over and, you know, a bunch of people over to the house, then we'll kind of hang out together. Well, guess what? That wouldn't be a marriage. A marriage is when two become one. And the reality is that our marriage, probably the, the indication of the love in our marriage that we have for one another, is if you see Vi, you see Frank. You see Frank, you see Vi. Not because we have to, because we want to. And as a believer, it should be when people see you, they see Jesus Christ. Because you're one with him. And that's the kind of witness that we need to be in the world. The Lord just put that on my heart to share. We're in uh, 2 Kings chapter 7, picking up where Pastor Frank Jr. left off. You know why I call him Pastor Frank Jr.? Because I'm senior and he's junior. <laughs> okay. 2 Kings chapter 7, starting with verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. I love that. Do you understand that the Lord is so often speaking to us, but we're not listening? Hear the word of the Lord. And I love it what it tells us in Matthew 13, 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. God is speaking to you, brothers and sisters. There are those times when you're alone with him, those times you're in the car, those times you're in the Word. 
He's speaking to you. There are times you're ignoring him, and he's speaking to you. Hear the word of the Lord, because he's speaking to you for encouragement. He's speaking to give you direction. Okay? Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, Asiya, that's one peck, and if you don't know what a peck is because you're not a farmer, but if you uh, go out and you buy a small bag of potatoes at the grocery store, that's about a peck. So tomorrow about this time, Asiya, one peck, a fine flour will be sold for a shekel, that's about 29 cents in today's money, and two seeds of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So an officer on whose hand the king leaned, now when it says on whose hand the king leaned, it doesn't mean, it could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean like the king was like leaning on his hand. That's a term that also is used where we might say, you know what, I lean on you. In other words, I, your advice and your direction and your encouragement is, is important to me. So it could be the chief officer in whom he leaned on for advice and encouragement, not necessarily holding him up. Um, okay. And uh, you know who we need to lean on, don't you? The Lord. And he loves to be leaned on. He really does. And um, he answered the man of God and said, Look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven and can do this, be, uh, and could uh, this, be, this thing be, I'm sorry. And he said, In fact, this is what Elijah is saying to the man on whom the king leaned, who questioned what God could do. You know, uh, oh, this is impossible. He, and, and Elisha says to him, In fact, you will see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Now, Elisha gave a prophecy of hope in the midst of this famine. He said this famine is going to be over by tomorrow. It's interesting. He wasn't saying in 52 days and 23 minutes this famine is going to be. He said tomorrow at this time. That's not long to wait. Elisha had proven himself over and over and over again as a prophet in telling the truth, and they disbelieve. That's a hard heart. It really is. Now, um, doubt, we have to understand, understand, is such a deterrent to our service to our great God and King. I mean, here they doubted Elisha, the prophet of God, what Pastor Frank just shared with us in the, you know, in the, in the prior service. I mean, God blinds a, a whole army and takes them into, uh, in, into Samaria, you know, in the midst of, of the northern kingdom. And, and they turn right around and they're forgetting what Elisha had done. It's so unbelievable to me, but the fact is that doubt is, is a horrible thing to have. You know, when you're reading the, in the Bible, don't have any doubts. This is the word of God to man. This is true. You know, so when you hear all of these people out there that are saying, well, you know, the Bible can't be trusted. There's, you know, all these different translations and they were taken from different times and this book, was, uh, this book was lost, that book was lost. It's not true. You know, there, I've shared this with you before. There's a, a system of, of checking out ancient documents. It's called Plato's Dictum. And how Plato's Dictum works is you take the oldest manuscript of a particular book and the newest manuscript of, a of that same book and see how many changes there are in it. Sometimes the changes are just drastic. 
Well, according to Plato's dictum, when they took the oldest writings we have, and we have scroll writings, right, of, of the Bible, to the most modern translation we have, there are no differences that relate to salvation or the important you know, topics of the Bible. So according to Plato's dictum, the most reliable book in the world, according to secular methods, is the Bible. So when you read the Word of God, you can believe it and you can trust it for exactly what it says. Now, so the thing is, we can't ever doubt. And how often, I, I, I was wondering, do we miss out on God's blessing because we simply don't believe? You know, in Luke one thirty-seven, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Salvation, heaven, the rapture, personal promises God has given you, he's made to you, do not doubt, no matter how impossible they seem. Do not doubt. And we need to have that kind of relationship with him that we can hear his voice, that we know when God has been speaking to us, that we know his promises that he gives us. And when we have those promises and when we hear his voice, we can stand on them, no matter what. Because like I said, we live in an insane world that's becoming crazier and crazier. But yet you and I don't have to get all concerned about that. We just trust in the Lord. You know, and, and maybe it's just me or whatever, but you know, you have so many people that are involved. Oh, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, I gotta make sure that I that I store all this food, and then I've got to make sure that I get twenty-five guns so if anyone tries to get my food, I can kill them in Jesus' name. You know. And all this kind of crazy stuff, and, or, or they're, they're all upset over these kinds of things. We don't have to be upset over anything. We have the promises of God. If God be for us, who is there that can be against us? Who is there? No one. If God is for us, no one can be against us. That's the word of God. And so we have to understand God has given us promises that are always yes and amen in him. And so we have promises that are literally out of this world. And so when we see all these things happening in the world, it just shows me how close we are to his coming. And no one's going to... You know, it's, it's funny, because uh, some of you might remember this. And when I was a young Christian, you know, a brand new Christian, I used to be thinking in my head, well, Lord, don't come back until I get to experience this or this. Have <laughs> you ever had that as a young person? Lord, don't come back until I... You know, whatever. Well, the reality is, those things that you want to experience, some of them are wonderful. Some of them aren't what you think. But some of them are wonderful. But the reality is, it can't even compare to the glories of heaven. You're not going to be standing before the throne of God and be thinking, oh man, I wish I would have had a chance to do this or that. You're not going to be thinking that at all. You're going to be just in rapturous worship of God with all other believers around you. Now, moving on to chapter 7, verse 3. Now, there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? Because you have to remember, everyone was starving to death. Um, if we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall surely die, and we shall die there. And 
if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. And they rose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord has caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, Look, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went in one tent, and they ate and drank, and they carried some, uh, uh, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also, and went and hid it. Verse 9. Then they said to one another, We are not doing right this day. Uh, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news, and we remain silent. If we wait until morning uh, light, some punishment will come upon us. In other words, they had two convictions. Number one, what we're doing isn't right. You know, we're, we're having all the food we want, and all of our family and friends in, in, in the city, they're not having any food. We're not doing right to keep it to ourselves. And also, they're thinking, if people found out that we're out here, you know, rotting the camps and laying aside and hiding silver and gold, we're going to get in trouble. So they had two emotions going on. Now therefore, come let us go and tell the king's household. So they went and they called to the gatekeeper of the city and they told them, saying, we went to the Syrian camp and surprisingly no one was there. Not a human sound, only horses and donkeys tied and the tents intact. And the gatekeepers called out and they told it to the king's household inside. So the king arose in the night, and he said to his servants, speaking these words of wisdom, so he thought, Let me now tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry, therefore they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the field, saying, When they come out of the city, we shall catch them alive and get into the city. And one of the servants answered and said, Please, let several men take five of the remaining, most of the horses were eaten, of the remaining horses which are left in the city. Look, they may either become like all the multitude of Israel that are left in it, or indeed, I say, they may become like all the multitude of Israel left from those whom are consumed. So let us send them and see. Therefore, they took chariot, two chariots and horses and the king sent them in the direction of the Syrian army, saying, Go and see. And they went after them to the Jordan, and indeed all the road was full of garments and of weapons which the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. So the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel, and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the officer on whose uh, hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, but the people trampled him in the gate, and he died 
just as the man of God had said, who spoke to the king, uh, who spoke when the king came down to him. Verse 18. So it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king, saying, Two seas of barley for a shekel and two seas of fine flour for a shekel shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. Then that officer had answered the man of God and said, Now look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, um, could such a thing be? And he had said, In fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. Wow. So when we look at this, the way the lepers saw it, they had three choices. They could stay outside of the camp of Israel. They weren't allowed in normally because they were lepers. They could stay outside and starve to death. Or they could go into the city with the rest of Israel and starve to death. Or they could go to the Syrians and maybe they would have pity on them and give them food and they'd live. So they were thinking two negatives and a possible positive. And so that's the reason they chose to go you know, to the Syrian camp. And you think about it, if people would just realize the choice they have, you know, you can either live this life as a, a moral person without Jesus Christ, or you could live this life as a degenerate, doing whatever you wanted without Jesus Christ, and the end result is hell for both. Or you can choose whether you are a good person according to the world or a degenerate according to the world. You could commit your life to Jesus Christ, have all your sins be forgiven, be filled with his Holy Spirit, and have the assurance of heaven and have all the rewards of God that are far beyond our ability even to comprehend. Well, the lepers made a good choice. And uh, so I love it that it tells us in, in him we have all the assurance of eternal life. In him. And, uh, you know, we have to understand when we think about heaven, people will often say, well, what do you think is going to be the greatest part of, of heaven? Well, I think when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a mansion, and I think my mansion is going to have a swimming pool and tennis courts in the backyard. Well, that's a pretty sad uh, idea of what heaven's going to be like. You know what the greatest part of heaven is going to be? Seeing the Lord. Here's how we're going to be for eternity. It's just going to be seeing God and other believers together, worshiping him in spirit and in song. And it's just You can't even imagine what heaven's going to be like. None of us can. But that's the promise we have in God. I mean, the reality is, this creation is starting to dwindle. This creation is starting to fall apart. It's absolutely amazing. So we need our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, they, they went, these two lepers, they went to the part of the camp where the Syrian guards should have been. They thought, we're going to go there first and let them know we're here and no one was there. And uh, there's no opposition at all. They were able to walk right into the camp. And it made me think of the fact that when we plead for mercy to our loving God and Father, there's no opposition. When we plead, God, forgive me a sinner, there's no opposition. 
Other people will. I can't believe they got saved. I don't know how they... You think you could get saved? You think you could come to the Lord? You know what you've done? Well, you want to know something? What a horrible attitude it is, number one. And number two, it's a lie of Satan. Because the reality is if you could be good enough to go to God, you could be good enough to go to heaven, which means Jesus never had to come, which would have made God cruel in sending him. I don't know if you followed all that. But the point I'm making is we have the assurance of going to heaven because God so loved the world. That's agapios in the, in the Greek. It means unconditional love, completely self-giving love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the promise of God. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. It doesn't make any difference whether you were the worst sinner in the world, or the model citizen. You're still separated from God by sin. And you can both be in relationship with God through forgiveness, through confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's so important for us to realize that. Because sometimes, I think, moral people who are, you know, what we would call you know, socially moral, have a harder time coming to Christ because they think they don't need Christ. What do I need forgiveness for? I'm a good person. Well, you know no one's, no one's really good. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Bless you, brother. And so we have to realize that like the lepers, we find a treasure in Jesus Christ. We find a treasure. And I love what it tells us in Joel 2.32, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are no people that are eliminated. No people at all. Well, you might think of, well, what, what about uh, Muslims? And what about atheists? And, and what about this? And what about that? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no one who's prohibited from coming to the Lord. And uh, we see here that the Lord worked a miracle causing the Syrians, the Syrians they, they literally, somehow, they literally heard chariots and horses and this great army coming. I mean, the thunder of it would have been just so astounding that you had the whole Assyrian army say, let's get out of here, and they just take off. Now, it's understandable that they'd leave their tents and that they'd leave their food, because if you think you're about to get slaughtered, guess what? You're not worried about, i got to get my tent packed up get my food on my back. You're not worried about that. You just take off. But the amazing thing is, they left their swords. You think you'd want that at least to fight a little bit. But also they left their horses. I think horses go a little bit faster if I'm running away than my feet. But it shows God's intervention here because Israel needed horses. They set, sent their last few horses out to check out the camp. In other words, most of their horses were gone. And so God not only supplied all the food that Israel needed, he supplied the horses, he supplied the donkeys, he supplied the livestock. I mean, God is just amazing. So that Israel was able to take this plunder back in and grow as a nation again with all you know, the prosperity that they once had. It's amazing how God is. And... Uh, you know, uh, 
it, it's, it's, just, it's just amazing when I look at this, it, how the lepers, I mean, why did God choose lepers to reveal this great news to Israel? Lepers were considered unclean. In fact, if you were a leper in that day, you had, when you were walking by people, you had to say, unclean, unclean. You had to call out. And people wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as you if you were a leper. And, you know, they'd wrap their robes and just get skirt away from you and, and like that. And so the lepers were considered the most unclean, the most despised people in Israel. And they're the ones that God chose to discover the bounty of the Syrian camp. And you want to know something? God has taken the most despised in this life and in this world to find the riches of Jesus Christ, to find every need they have, every single need they have. And I love that because, you know, so often we think, well, you know, I, I, I used to love it when um, people would say to me, oh, I'm just not good enough to be a Christian. I'll tell you what, you're a perfect candidate then. You really are, because the person who says, well, I don't know why I need Christ. I'm a good person. Have you ever talked to someone and, and, and their first defense is, I'm a good person? No, you're not, because you lie and you cheat and you're completely self-consumed. Everything's about you and what you want for yourself. That's human nature. So, no, no one is good. No, not one, Scripture says. But the fact is, through Jesus Christ, anyone, I love that, anyone, in the Greek it means without limit, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. You mean even me? Yep. Even me. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. From what? From sin and death. There's not a person that has breath in their mouth that has to go to hell. It's their choice. Because they refuse to accept the free ticket of salvation. There's no cost. It's free. And they refuse it. Now, it's interesting here, in a sad way, that you, know, you have this officer of the king so he, when he said, even if the windows of heaven would be open, it wouldn't be enough to feed this multitude. He was mocking God. Elisha had proven himself over and over and over again to be speaking the word of God, to be speaking prophetically of what was going to happen, and, they, and he was mocking him, mocking him. And that's why Elijah said, you know what? You're going to see this miracle. It's less than 24 hours away. <laughs> You're going to see this miracle, but you're not going to take part in it. You know what, brothers and sisters? God doesn't want us to see miracles and not take part in them. He wants us to see miracles and take part in them. Miracles in our own life, miracles in, in other ways, in physical miracles, spiritual miracles, emotional miracles. It's amazing. You see a husband and wife reconciled back to one another. It's a miracle. You see a baby born, it's a miracle. You see friends being reconciled to one another, it's a miracle. You know, God has given us so many things for our good pleasure. It's absolutely amazing. 
And I, I read the Word of God, and I'm just blessed by it. And I think, why don't I read it more? Get into the Word of God. I challenge you, pick a book and study it. You know, Vi and I just went through, um, we're not quite through, we're going through 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, the Epistles of John. And what you do is you read, and when something pops out at you, you talk about it, and you pray about it. I'll tell you what, that's a good date night. No, I'm not saying going to see a Marvel movie isn't a good date night, but anyway, uh, the point is that's a, that's a good date night, to have that kind of fellowship with one another and, and with other believers. So I'm not trying to be too corny with you today or um, try to put any kind of... I don't want to put a guilt trip on anyone. I just want to share with you the promises of God. We see how God worked when... Um, you know, northern, the northern kingdom of Israel was under siege and they were starving to death. Pastor Frank was talking about in the first service how a cap of dove's dung was sold and the equivalent amount would be like $30. I mean, you talk about a horrible situation. And in the very next chapter, we read about God's supply. So you might be in chapter 6. You might be going through some difficult times, and, and, and I'll tell you that the, the, things are barren, and, and the, there's, there's a drought, or there's you know, a famine of food and whatever, but you're right on the verge of seeing the outpouring blessing of God. In your life, I'm talking about, and saying this euphemistically, not necessarily literally, God wants to bless you. And the reason God wants to bless you is because he loves you. Do you understand? It's beyond our ability or our capability to really comprehend fully. But God knows each one of us everywhere, individually. You know, I'm not going to stand before the Lord and he says, let's see, uh, uh, Frank, isn't it? You know, it's not going to be like that. He knows us individually, intimately, and personally. Why wouldn't we spend more time with him? Live your life for God and not for this world. This world brings nothing but heartache and sadness. Live for God and find peace and joy, knowing that all the promises are in him are yes and amen. Brothers and sisters, if there's anyone here today who is not born again, who has not committed their life to Jesus Christ, today needs to be the day of your salvation. You need to commit your heart to the Lord today. And if you don't know how to do that, or if you want to talk to someone, in fact, it's good to talk to someone. I'm here. Pastor Frank Jr. is here. You know, Vi's here. Other godly women in the church are here. Talk to somebody. Because you need to be saved. And understand, coming to church doesn't make you a Christian it's a corny joke you've heard before. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. You know? So you have to realize, just coming here doesn't make you a Christian. You have had to have made that choice. And I'm, I'm sounding like I'm really being passionate here, because I am, because I'm so concerned of people that just live a Christian-style life, but are not really Christians. 
You need to be. Scripture says you must. And that's an imperative tense. You must be born again. Father, thank you so much for this time together as a church family. And I pray that the things that we have uh, looked at this morning would really speak to our hearts and encourage our souls. And Lord, that you would come individually to each one of us and show us things that we need to see and help us, Lord, in things that we're lacking in. And so we give you thanks, Father, for the fact that you hear and you answer prayer. And your love for us is beyond our ability to even comprehend. And I ask this all in Jesus, Yeshua's name. Amen and amen. God bless you, my friends, and thank you for being here.